Well, good morning for our brothers and sisters that are watching online as well. Um, but it's so good to be in the midst. Uh, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. We started this new chapter last week, and uh, we left off on verse 14. And so this morning, we're going to pick it up in verse 15. We're going to cover to verse 26. We have one more study in this chapter, so I encourage you, read ahead. Always read ahead. Always read ahead. You know where I'm at. You know which way we're going. Unless something shifts and I do a different study or if I'm gone, we're always going to be going chapter by chapter. And so, verse by verse. And so, again, I encourage you to read on the rest of the chapter, see where we're going with that. So, chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain nation of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. But on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet. For they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration <clears throat> of the days of purification, at which time an offering uh, should be made for each of them. Father, we ask your blessing upon your word. We bless you and thank you for this, this opportunity to gather together, whether it's here or in the living room somewhere, wherever people are hearing this message. We pray that, God, you would just use it to minister to our hearts and, and to instruct us, Lord God, through all your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So as we go back to our text here in verse 15, let me get this squared away here. <clears throat> it says, after those days, were, we packed up and went to Jerusalem. So after staying in the house of Philip for many days, as it told us back in, in verse 10, it was now time to pack up and go. Or, or could I say that it was now time to arise and go to Jerusalem. Now, I know that I have shared this before, but it's always worth mentioning that any time from any direction that you may be coming from, you always go up to Jerusalem. Always. <clears throat> In other words, you never go down to Jerusalem. It's like with us saying, hey, we're going down to San Diego, but we're going up to Sacramento because it's north and south. Right? We would always say that. Well, some of you guys are like, oh, I'm going up to, to San Diego. It's like, uh, it's not the way it goes because you're going south. So, so again, that's just a little pet peeve of mine. Sorry. I may correct you. I may not if you say that, but just know I'm thinking it. But you're always going up to Jerusalem. Always. Especially true in this case. Again, they, they are coming from Caesarea, and Caesarea was a coastal city, which means that they are at sea level. They are now going to head east about 65 miles up to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem sits at about 2,400, 2,500 feet, about where, where Victorville is, maybe a little lower than Victorville, somewhere around there. It's like coming from, from Huntington Beach all the way up here. You would travel up. In this case, they did. And so, again, it's always worth noting because you will always hear that, and when you read it, you always see that, so now you know. But it also says... In verse 16, also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us. We don't know exactly how many people had been with Paul when he arrived at Caesarea. He always had an entourage. He always had people traveling with him. And so we don't know exactly how many had come with him, but they ended up taking some other disciples, some other brothers, from Caesarea as well, and now they are headed over to Jerusalem. So I don't know how big this, this group is. Now, we have come across the word disciples several times throughout our, Paul's travels. And it is, again, worth noting how important that is. Because these disciples were disciples of Christ. I know we can be disciples of other things, but this in particular, when we keep on running across the word disciples here, it means that these guys are disciples of Christ. And we have learned throughout our studies, and this is something that should just be embedded in us, that the word disciple means a learner, a pupil, one who continues to grow. <clears throat> I think I've often said it, you could be a Christian and not really be a disciple. But you cannot be a disciple without really being a Christian when it comes to Christ. Because some people don't want to learn. No, some people don't want to grow in the Lord. Some people are just satisfied. Hey, dude, I got my ticket to heaven. I'm good. I'm getting in by the skin of my teeth. I'm good with that. And that's fine. 
But a disciple is one who continues to grow, one who continues to advance, mature. Let, let me use that word, not advance, but mature. And in this case, again, these guys that are coming with him are learners, pupils of Christ. We would call them brothers and sisters in Christ. Surrounding ourselves with disciples who are in Christ is so important for us. And, and this is why it's important that we gather together, not just on Sunday mornings, but hey, if this is the only time we can truly congregate, then, then okay, that, that, far out. But we should have people in our lives that we, that we have fellowship with, other disciples, other people that are going in the same direction, who are like-minded. Again, most of you, if not all of you guys, they, you guys work out in the world, and you deal with people who are not like-minded, and they influence your, your head with all the stuff that is being said, right? Because those things happen, and we're around so many things. It is so good to be around other like-minded people that are going in the same direction, that have the same heart for Jesus that you have. Maybe you're, you're at different places in your life, but you guys are headed in the right direction. There's communion, there's fellowship. And this is what I love when, when we're looking at the book of Acts, that, we're, that everywhere Paul went, he found some disciples. He always was looking for disciples. He wasn't afraid to go around non-Christians. He loved it, actually. But he always sought out the brothers and sisters in Christ, because it's so important that we have that fellowship. Again, like Pastor Daniel was saying, it is so good just to be around you, even if we mess around, <laughs> just, just talk nonsense. It's good to be with other brothers and sisters, knowing that at a drop of a hat, we can pray for one another. We can minister to one another. Oh, we can be talking about baseball. We can talk politics. We can talk all these stupid things. Well, not stupid, but crazy things. But always kind of bringing it back to saying, but we have this in common with one another. We are part of the family of Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is why this is important, guys. Now, again, now we don't know exactly how large the party has gotten as they are traveling over to Jerusalem. But I would say that there is safety in numbers, and I say that because from Caesarea up to Jerusalem, 65 miles, it was a two, more than likely, three-day journey that they would be traveling. And in a larger party, you had less of a chance of being robbed, especially this time of year. Pentecost was at hand, as we've learned and for most of the known world, they were making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem around this time of year. And so it was kind of open season on travelers. And if you weren't part of a, a crowd, then you were going to get picked off a lot easier. So we remember that, again, there was a couple of reasons for Paul wanting to be or wanting to go to Jerusalem. He had truly a heart to be there for Passover. 
But when that wasn't going to happen, he, he truly wanted to be there at least for Pentecost. And that's why he has made his journey back to, to Jerusalem around this time of the year, to be there for Pentecost. And because of that, again, there's a lot of people coming for this festival. We saw something like this at the end of his second missionary journey. He is on his third, finishing it off. That even on his second missionary journey in chapter 18, verse 21, he says, I must by all means keep this coming feast at Jerusalem. Now, even though the Apostle Paul is now a follower of Christ, even though he is now a disciple of Christ, he even has the title of an Apostle of Christ, it's interesting that he still had a heart for his people, the Jewish people. It's interesting that he still wanted to be a part of some of these festivals that had to do with the Jewish religion, even though he is not He's not part of that anymore. You understand? He, he's gone away from that, but he still wants to be a part of that. The other reason why he had to go to Jerusalem was because he had some money, some funds that he had gathered together from the churches in Macedonia, and he truly wanted to be the one personally to come and bring that to the church. Part of it is because he had gathered it from these churches who were Gentiles, and he knew that there was an issue in Jerusalem with the church in Jerusalem that was still stuck on the traditions of the Jews, even though they were Christians, and we read through that, and we'll cover a little bit more of that. And so he truly wanted to, to bring that together. He had been ministering to a lot of Gentiles, and so he's bringing this money from these churches in Macedonia that were primarily made up of Jewish or Gentile people. So one of the things that I've enjoyed and I've always enjoyed and appreciated from the book of Acts is how the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. Because that's what we have in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit doing a work in the church, specifically in believers. When they are open to his leading, it's amazing how God just prepares us for what's ahead. Now, it may not always be as obvious as we see in the Apostle Paul's life because we're reading his story and he has certain desires and then they're, they're coming to pass. There's certain things and then boom, it happens. And so it might not be as obvious as the Apostle Paul, but in, in subtle ways even, the Lord prepares you and I for things that are ahead. And sometimes you don't realize it until after the fact that now that it's happened, you go, that's why this happened a month ago, a year ago, for this time. And so that's what we see through the book of Acts, that again, God was always preparing the believer for what's ahead. Last, in our last study, we saw the confirmation of what God had been preparing Paul for. In going up to Jerusalem and all that would take place in Jerusalem. And everything that would take place in Jerusalem had to take place in Jerusalem in order to get Paul over to Rome. He has this journey. And from here on out, the rest of the book of Acts... From, from the end of verse 16, the rest of the book of Acts is now going to be the journey 
that will take him over to Rome, where he will end his life over there. So, it does tell us in verse 16 that these brothers had brought along a certain nascent of Cyprus, an early disciple. The, the, the certain early disciple was from Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. He was probably in Caesarea for whatever reason, but more than likely he also had a residence in Jerusalem. So it kind of sounds like they brought him along or they were brought to him, but either way, they're going to hang out with this guy. But, but And sometimes you think, well, why would he give us this kind of detail? I don't know, because he likes giving us detail. And I like that detail. We don't know anything else about this guy except that he's an early disciple. He's been around probably for about 20, 25 years. He may have gotten saved, and again, speculation, on the day of Pentecost. And that's why he's wanting to be there. He probably went every year because he remembers when he got saved. So be that as it may, verse 17, it says, And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. It is possible that there was a great sigh of relief when they all got to Jerusalem. Traveling with Paul, <laughs> having reached Jerusalem, after understanding what had happened with Agabus, tying up his hands and his feet, going, this is what's going to happen to the guy that owns this belt. And these guys are traveling with the guy that owns that belt. And he probably has that belt on right now. And they're probably looking at the belt going, dang it, man. And so they've gotten to Jerusalem. And so I'm sure there was some apprehensions going, I can see Jerusalem up there. We're probably going to get killed. <laughs> I don't know. Again, they're traveling. And so once they, they arrived at Jerusalem, I love this portion because it says, when they came to Jerusalem, the brethren received them gladly. And so there's probably this sigh of relief. It's like, well, we made it this far and we're amongst friends. Hopefully our friends don't kill us. <laughs> and so it says that they received them gladly. And again, it could have been because the Apostle Paul was coming with them. Again, they had been at Philip's house for several days, so it's quite possible that people had left early to be there at Pentecost and told the guys, hey, guess what? Paul's coming. Paul and his entourage are coming. So they received them gladly. There was this welcoming kind of party for them. Wouldn't it be great that if anybody or everybody, that everybody would be received gladly? Anytime... And every time we came together in the presence of one. I mean, right now we're all excited. It's like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in three months. Oh, can I hug you? Can I not hug you? How is it? You know, and, and you kind of get excited. But wouldn't it be amazing if that just happened every week we saw each other? Oh, there you are again. Even on a daily basis, you're going, oh, come on. After a while, it's like, hey, what's up? But that we would be excited when we saw one another. Why? Because we're disciples of Christ. We have this commonality. And again, we shared it last week. We all come from different backgrounds, different everything, but that when we come together, we have Jesus. And it's like, hey, church, hey, church, we're getting together, man. We come together once again. And so it says that they came together in verse 18 on the following day. 
Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. So as they got together the following day with the leaders of the church of Jerusalem, that would be James and the rest of the elders. Now, Peter and John are not mentioned here. They could have been out of town at a conference. I don't know. But then again, they were elders of the church. I just found it interesting that they were not mentioned because those three were like the pillars. But James is there. When he greeted them, when he greeted them, he told them in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So apparently that first meeting the day before was kind of devoted primarily to kind of just fellowship, hanging out, you know, just kind of seeing how things are going. Maybe they had a little potluck, I don't know. The second meeting, this one, now that the, the rest of the leadership is there, this meeting in particular was given over to Paul, basically, to give them a report of his ministry among the Gentiles. Now, it, the Jerusalem leadership had agreed years earlier, over five years earlier, that Paul should minister to the Gentiles. And that was back in chapter 15. So it was probably longer than five years. After the first missionary journey when he was out doing that. And according to Galatians chapter 2, again, he tells us they had this agreement that he would be ministering to the Gentiles. And so when they heard of what had happened on this trip, the elders rejoiced in what they had heard. And it says that he told them in detail. That, that, that phrase, in detail, means declared particularly, reported in detail, item by item. He was very thorough as he is sharing with them the places he has been, the people he talked to, the ministry that he got to do. He was very detailed in telling them everything that was going on. In other words, Paul gave a full and accurate account, not so much of what he had done, but what the Lord had done in him and through him in ministering to the Gentile community. And so he's sharing all these things, right? And it is quite possible that even though the writer of Acts doesn't mention it here at this time, that it was at this time that when they now gathered together with the elders, that the money, the love offering that had been brought from the other churches on behalf of the other churches was now presented to them. And maybe that's why there was this rejoicing going on, this glorifying of the Lord that he had provided for their needs from other areas. It doesn't tell us that, but at one point, the money that Paul brought had to be given over to the church in Jerusalem, but it's never mentioned, but it had to have happened. And so again, I'm just assuming, I do a lot of assumption when I'm reading, I throw things in, but it would have been around this time that he would have given them the money. This was like the second time that Paul had come to the church of Jerusalem. And so he's giving them this update of his travels. I find it fascinating because this is not his home church. 
The Jerusalem church was not the one that sent him out, especially on this third missionary journey. But I find it fascinating that he felt accountable to the leaders, to the church in Jerusalem about what was going on in the ministry that God had called him. Now, it might not seem like a a huge deal to some people, but I think that this is very important, that we would be accountable to one another. It's not a command that we need to be accountable to one another. It's not a command that I should be accountable to other churches or other leaders, But there's nothing wrong with being accountable with one another. Because I think it helps us as individuals and as a church that we don't just go rogue. Getting off base. Doing what is right in our own eyes. Because we're not accountable to anybody. That can get us in trouble. It can get us in trouble in ministry. It can get you in trouble in your marriage. It can get get you in trouble in a lot of ways when you're not accountable to anyone. And I love the fact that Paul didn't have to be accountable. He didn't have to give them detail uh, item by item, but he does. And, And so he pours out into them and shares all these things. So in verse 20, it says, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. When they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Not only were, was there gladness when all of these guys showed up, but they also glorified the Lord in what they had heard. The word, the Greek word glorified is doxazo, doxazo. We get our word doxology from. And some of you guys understand that a doxology, you know, people, there's this song, uh, praise God from whom all blessings. That's a doxology. And it kind of just praises God and worships God and glorifies God in this doxology. And it means to praise, extol, magnify, celebrate, to honor, do honor to, Hold in honor to make glorious, adorn with luster, clothe with splendor, to impart glory to something, to make renowned, render illustrious, to exalt to, to a glorious rank or position. That's what the word glorified means. In other words, when they heard detail by detail everything that Paul had done, these guys basically adored, exalted, praised, and thanked God for all that had been done. Now understand that Paul had a heart for all people. And when the Jews, when he was out in the battle, when the Jews rejected him, He always turned his attention towards the Gentiles throughout his ministry, right? But in Jerusalem, there are mostly Jews there in this Christian church, in the church of Jerusalem. And so as they glorified God, glorified the Lord, it says, And they said to him, 
You see, brother, how many myriad or uncountable Jews, numerous Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But, ah, there, there are countless Jews here, Paul, that, that have come to believe in the Lord Jesus. And the fact remains that they are still all zealous for the law, which means that they are enthusiastically upholding the law of Moses. Is this right or wrong? <laughs> that, that, that here, the church in Jerusalem is enthusiast, enthusiastically upholding the law of Moses. Now, before I answer whether it's right or wrong, and before we touch on it, I, I, I want to say that this is why there are probably different churches and different denominations of churches. But this is why I think it's wrong. Because of differences, which most of the time are minor differences, these minor issues, they pit Christian against Christian. And because of these differences, oftentimes it gives Jesus and the church, the, the church, not this church, the church, it gives it a bad name. Because of these differences, churches fight against each other because they're doing it different. It doesn't mean that differences are good or bad, right or wrong. They're just different. And I'm okay with differences, guys. What I'm not okay with is fighting, arguing, dividing over differences. You see, I would never, ever go to a different church knowing that it is different. Going there and insisting that they do things the way Calvary Phelan does it. I would never do that. Why? Because I know that there's differences. I understand that there are differences. Nor do I like when people come here and then start telling us, well, you guys should be doing it this way or that way. It's like, who are you again? Well, it's my first time here, but I think that you guys should be doing it. Again, you're thinking, oh, come on, Pastor Zeke. It's like, I hear a lot of stuff. For some reason, people feel the freedom. <laughs> and maybe because I lend myself. It's like, ah, tell me what you want. But for people to come to a different church that they're used to and say, why aren't you doing it the way we do it at our home church? And you almost want to go, well, go back home to your home church. <laughs> Again, I would never go and do that and yet, we, we, we shouldn't. I think we just need to respect the differences. It's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. It's just different than what you might be used to. 
You see, the issue here, the issue had already been dealt with several years earlier after Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. And Paul, when he came back after doing ministry in that missionary journey, did not come back to the church of Jerusalem and say, hey, you need to act and be like all the other churches that we had just started and visited. He never did that. He knew that there was an issue with the with the church in Jerusalem because they were mainly brought up in this Jewish religion. And when they became Christians, they hung on to some of the customs of the Jewish religion. Paul understood this very, very well. He was just giving them a detailed report on what God was doing in and around other places. He is, again, he never told them, now you guys need to change. But they, the church in Jerusalem, felt the need to express to him and even remind him that they still enthusiastically adhere to the law of Moses. And it's almost like they said, on top of that, <laughs> Brother Paul, the people here, the church here, the, the brothers and sisters of the church, they have been informed about you. In other words, while we're on the subject of you, Paul, and how you do things differently than we do, we're going to have to kind of set you straight because you're here with us. And that's why I titled the message, They Glorified God, comma, But. They were all excited for what God had been doing in other places. But it's not how we do things here. Again, Paul wasn't there to change them. He was there to report to them. He didn't even have to do that. He was bringing the money to give to them, but I'm sure he said, hey, can I just share with you what God is doing in other parts? And maybe they felt threatened. It's like, bro, don't be bringing up all those things here. Maybe that's the situation, but maybe not. They have already been dealing with this for quite a while. They seem to be so excited on one part, but... We have an issue with how you do things because there's all these people who have been informed about you. And this is what I don't understand. I do, but I don't. And what's going on here? And that is why James, the leader of the church, now it doesn't tell us that James is the one that said this, but I'm assuming again because he is the leader. But why hadn't he... Why had he not, or the leadership, dealt with the issue, knowing that Paul is going, coming? Why haven't they talked to the fellowship and saying, guys, here's our brother. He's coming. He's going to share stuff with us. He's not coming to change us. Obviously, everyone knew how they felt about Paul. Now, I say this knowing that James, this James, has already written his book. 
the book of James. He wrote that about 45, 50 A.D. Right now in our text, we're at about 57 A.D. So he's already written this book, and that book deals a lot with the Jews and not being under the law and having all this stuff. He's already dealt with it in his writings. And yet, he is still dealing with it after the fact. Now, I know that James can't control everybody in the congregation. There was thousands of believers. They have come out of the Jewish religion. They had, or they hadn't, the leadership hadn't dealt with the rumors and accusations that had come against Paul. Again, unless this is the first time that James is, is hearing about this, but I highly doubt it. I found a, a, a saying that <laughs> that was amazing. It says, it has well been said that though a rumor doesn't have a leg to stand on, it travels mighty fast. <laughs> Everybody knew the issues that they had against Paul. And they felt like they had to bring it up to Paul. Instead of saying, guys, it's just different. It's not bad what Paul is sharing and doing in other places. It's just different, guys. And, and, and I don't think he's coming to say all of you guys need to change. He's just coming to fellowship with us. But this is what they're learning in verse 21. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake the law, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. I, I am certain that Paul probably talked about and dealt with these issues associated with the Jewish religion. These things that he has been accused of. He had every right to tell people, the Jewish people, wherever he traveled, guys, you're free. You're free from all of that. But I don't think he ever commanded them, stop obeying the law. He never commanded that. He did say this as he wrote to the Corinthians, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, if I want to adhere to the law, I will adhere to the law. If I don't, I won't. But I'm not going to be brought in bondage. And it almost sounds like the church in Jerusalem was still kind of in bondage to the law of Moses. Go on with your bad self if you want to. That's neither here nor there. But now you're saying, you keep on telling people that they can't. He never said that. If you read his letters, if you read his writings, he never says, stop it. He does challenge people when they become legalistic. The book of Galatians is all over it. None of these things, again, 
that are mentioned here had to do with salvation in and of themselves. Even though some in the church of Jerusalem had made a big issue about circumcision and being saved. But that had been dealt with back in chapter 15. But why were so many believers, these believing Jews, still clinging to the law of Moses? Hadn't they read the book of Romans or Galatians? Probably not. They probably hadn't got the copy yet. But even if they had, I could almost guarantee you the church in Jerusalem would probably have had a difficult time with those writings. Because old customs are difficult to change. But you see, these brothers in Jerusalem, they were still saved. They, they were just a little bit more legalistic in what they were believing. And, and here's what's unfortunate. They didn't understand the freedom that Paul preached, the grace. They were still somewhat under the law. In fact, one day, God would, he would send a special letter to the Jews in the epistle of the Hebrews, <laughs> the letter of Hebrews, to explain the relationship between the Old Testament Covenant and the New Covenant. In, 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 I found a quote from Barnhouse, a commentator, who used to say, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews to tell them to stop being Hebrews. <laughs> in other words, you're free from all that. But if you want to keep some of the things, it's okay, but just understand that's Old Testament. Old Covenant. We have a New Covenant. But you see, it would not be until the city and the temple itself would be destroyed in 70 A.D. that the tradition of Jewish worship would basically cease for almost 200 years, basically, or 2,000 years. So the question is, what then? What then? After this meeting, after all of this that's come up, the Amplified puts it like this, what then? What then is the best that, we should, that should be done? A multitude will come together, for they will surely hear that you have arrived. Now at this point, Paul could easily have turned to the leaders and said, you know what, you guys deal with it, I'm out of here. I don't need this in my life. I'm being accused of things that I've never said. You guys are the ones with the problem. And this is where, again, churches and Christians can be pitted against each other. And this is where we need to fight not to do that to one another. It's okay for, for other churches to do things differently. It's okay. It's okay that we do it a certain way. It's okay. But I truly believe that what's happening here. Paul wanted to show a united front and be part of the solution, even though he was considered a problem. What do you guys need me to do? And in verse 23, it says, Therefore, do what we tell you to do. 
Tell you, do what we tell you. I have a hard time with that verse. Especially because if people tell me, do what we tell you, it's like, oh, no, I won't. Mm -mm. You don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Again, I'm, on the, I'm just as prideful as anybody else, right? I might be like, oh, I might soften a little bit after that. But my initial reaction, <laughs> you can ask my wife, when she tells me to do something, it's like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I'm really not that bad. <laughs> is it getting hot in here? Because my wife is sitting back there, but I shouldn't have said anything. But be that as it may. Do what we tell you to do. <laughs> I understand this somewhat. Instead, instead of the church dealing with the issue once and for all while Paul was there, they seemed to be appeasing, placating the crowd that was having a hard time with Paul. Instead of saying, you know what, they're all going to come together and we're going to settle this issue. But I think the bigger issue was not, Paul was not the issue. I think the bigger issue was the Gentiles as a whole and him ministering to the Gentiles. And that should have been dealt with in the church because the Lord Jesus had already broken down that middle wall of separation partition and made from the two one. Again, I'm, I'm sure James taught that. I'm sure he understood that. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I know what I preach. I don't know what you hear. <laughs> I know what I, I say. And I hear stuff for you, and I go, I've never said that. That's not what we believe, not, not at all. So I'm sure he had thrown that out there. And it almost looks like Paul is compromising here. I was going to have you turn to 1 Corinthians 9, but read it later. I'm looking at the clock. But you want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23, because in it Paul says, I have become all things to all men. To those who are under the law, I will pretend like I'm under the law, just right with you. I will wholeheartedly. If you're outside the law, I will be as those outside the law. Again, knowing that there's the law. <laughs> to the weak, I become as weak. To, to, I have become all things to all men that I might save some. So here, Paul, it almost looks like he's compromising. Now understand, again, when he took Timothy with him on, on one of the journeys, he had him circumcised. And yet when he took Titus, he didn't have him circumcised. It just depended on the situation. Paul, back in chapter 18, had even taken a Nazarite vow, even though he is not totally Jewish anymore. He's a Christian. But he would still do stuff like that, just like what was being asked of him to do here in our text. I guess the hard time that I had with this is do what we tell you to. It would have been better if they would have said, do what the Lord tells you to do, but this is what we think. Make a decision. I would have played it off that way. It would have been a lot better. But this is what 
as I'm looking at this, though, here I, I see the humility of Paul in that he was willing to submit to these leaders that were not his pastors, but they were leaders of the church in the name of unity and peace. You see, this was not going to affect Paul, not one bit. He knew who he was in Christ, and he's going, you guys want me to do that? I'll do it. No biggie. And it tells him, take, it, take them and, and purify them and do all of these things. What, what I do get from here, from Paul, that Paul was someone who was not afraid to do something that was not Christian, that was outside the realm of what he normally did in one sense. But I will preface that by saying that there was maturity on Paul's heart, knowing that this was not going to dictate who he really was. He's being asked to do something that was not going to take away his salvation. It wasn't going to persuade him. He was not going to be stumbled, nor would he stumble other people by doing this. And we should never be stumbled if we are persuaded to do something because we feel, eh, I'm going to go along with it. We should never stumble or be made to stumble if we, in what we allow or engage ourselves in. And I could only reference this in relation to my upbringing as a Catholic. I still go to Catholic churches. What? <laughs> yes, I do. Because we have a lot of relatives that are still Catholic. And when they get married or when they die... I go into Catholic churches. It doesn't take away my salvation. But I know that there's some people that would say, oh my gosh, you walked into a Catholic church. It's like, dude, I came from there. I love these people. This is my upbringing. This is my heart. So, so do I participate in everything that the Catholics do? No. Do I do the sign of the cross? If I want to, I will. It's not going to kill me if I do this. I was brought up doing that. But some people, what you're engaging in, it's like, chill out. <laughs> Don't freak out. Again, if you're going to allow yourself to do something like that, don't let it persuade you. But I want to honor my family. <laughs> I love my family. And if they want to get married, or again, when my mom died, she wanted a Catholic funeral. I knew that she was a Christian. Okay, we'll do the Catholic funeral. It doesn't hurt. And so that's the only thing I could relate to going on here. And so it almost sounds like what they were asking Paul to do was sponsor these four men in their purifying. He would have to purify himself. He wasn't going to get his head shaved, but he had done that before, but not this time. They were the ones that gave the offering. It seems that he was the one that paid for it all. He was almost like a godfather, <laughs> a nino <laughs> in the Spanish culture. They sponsor, he sponsored this thing going on. Again, it wasn't going to take away from who he was. There may be some disagreements over matters like these. 
that can and will happen within our Christian community. But we shouldn't be the ones that are causing the division in these kinds of situations and matters and differences. Know and understand that every church is different. And if you are invited to a function that is outside your norm and different from your denomination or even your religion, learn about it. And then make a prayerful decision as to whether you are to be a part of it or not. It's okay. But don't go in there condemning everybody. Know what you're getting yourself into. When I go into these weddings or funerals or for whatever reason, I don't like, oh my gosh, he's wearing a robe. <laughs> That's what they do. It's okay. It's okay that they're doing all their, their things. I come from that. It doesn't frighten me. It doesn't intimidate me. It doesn't prevent me from loving Jesus still. <laughs> and so everything that's going on here, what God was doing here in this situation, even as Paul is going through what he's going to get, go through, it, the, ball is, the ball starts rolling here for him to get to Rome from here on out. And so he's going through all of these things. Again, he's going to get busted next week. If you... Uh, I just ruined it for you. But anyways, that's what's going to happen. But guys, let's not be the ones that cause the division. There's differences. Let us deal with the differences. And let us pray for one another. Amen? Father in heaven, we continue to look to you. And we continue to praise you, Lord God, for your goodness and your grace, Lord. The things that you show us through the scriptures, I pray that, God, uh, you have helped me to to clarify some things and maybe even challenge my brothers and sisters here. But I pray that I, I was able to do it some justice here, Father. Go before us, I pray, as we go out of these walls from among one another, as we deal with people that are not part of this place. Lord, help us to never be the problem. And if we are the problem, that we would look for the solution, Lord God, just as Paul showed us in this portion. I thank you, Lord God, that we can glorify you. We can exalt you, Lord God, no matter where we're at, no matter what the situation, that you would be glorified in our lives continually, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we...